In Romans now, we're at Romans 14, verse 18. But in review of verse 17, what does it state? It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's where the kingdom is. It's spiritual. People are making it more outward, as they did under the law, because they did not have Christ in them. He was dealing with them at lower levels. Their mind, the natural things, did not change their inner spirit. He gave commands, and if they kept them, they were not judged. They could be wicked to some degree in their heart, but until it was manifested, uh, he didn't judge them for it. But there was still wickedness there, and they were at a lower level. So as he did with the Gentiles, he winked at certain things. He looked, overlooked it, not expecting certain things, and made provision and sacrifice for this. Okay, So if the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom, is righteousness, peace, and joy, and notice he says, in the Holy Spirit, the person is not in Christ, and Christ is not in him, this does not apply. He's not in the kingdom of God. So in 18, it says, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So our acceptance by Christ is remaining in the kingdom and producing spiritual fruit and obedience and the life that he wants. The spiritual works is what he's talking about. So he who serves Christ is acceptable to God if he does this, and he's approved by men, even men of the world in general, like anything that promotes peace and good will in the community. For trade and prosperity can proceed under those conditions. So even the wicked governments do not like anarchy and civil war and things going on because it affects these things. And people cannot get ahead in life and provide for themselves and family and have legitimate jobs and works. So that's what he's saying. So the person that's in the kingdom of God lives righteously. We have a lot of people talking about their righteousness and seated with Christ. That's just mental assent. Until it's working out of you, it has no value. So many people say, well, he's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Well, you're a false Christian, because they're one and the same. In the, the New Testament, to the uh, Christians, basically, the word Savior is used about 15 or 20 times. The word Lord is used over 400 times. What do you think is important to the Lord? So if you're not a disciple, you're not saved. And if you're saved, you're a disciple at some degree. So that's another fallacy of false shepherds, okay? So the kingdom of God, remember, is righteousness. Then one must bear it in himself. Uh, lip service and mental assent to teaching will not cut it with God. And that's mostly what professing Christians have. They don't have the real thing. They have a lot of form and ritual and mental assent belief. 
Oh, they believe Jesus, son of God, does not save them. He said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? If you don't obey him, he don't care what you believe. Your belief is not going to get you into the kingdom. It's your obedience to him proves that you believe. So the word believe often is interchangeable with obedience. You believe to obey. If it's just mental assent, means nothing to God. But that's what many people have. Oh, I believe in Christ. I believe, and they live wicked lives, and they still think they're Christians because of this. Well, they're going to be fooled at the day of judgment. They're going to be greatly deceived. Okay, let's look again, which we do often, at Romans 6, 15 and 16. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Uh, The translation is, may it never be. It means if you're under grace, you're not to keep sinning. You've been freed from that. It's not a license to sin, as most of the heretics teach. Do you not know? I want you to know this, that whomever you present yourself slaves to, to obey, you are that person. You belong to them. So if you're serving sin, you're under the power of the devil. If you're obeying Christ, you're under him. So he's making it practical. It's who you obey, not just who you believe. So as James would say, I'll show you my faith by my works. And when he mentions faith, if you don't love the brethren and you don't live righteously, he implies and he says, can that kind of faith save you? The implication is rhetorical. No, it's not going to save you. Well, that's what happens to many people. They claim they're Christians because they believe certain teachings, but they do not abide in the teaching. They do not continue or remain with the Lord. So if you obey sin, it leads to death. That's spiritual death. Or a righteousness, you obey righteousness. This leads to eternal life, okay? And the present and the future. So to whom a person obeys, not just the one he believes in, but the one that he obeys, that's his master. We are not without a master, okay? So again, if you obey sin, practice it, you have spiritual death waiting for you, and you already have a part of it. But if you obey righteousness and Christ and his will, then you have eternal life now, and you have it waiting for you. Okay, so even John makes it very plain, as I always repeat with John. He gives you seven or eight ways you can tell whether you're a real Christian. He only mentions faith as the faith, not exercising it, and he doesn't mention the word grace. Isn't that astounding? But he mentions other than to tell you what grace and faith produce. And if you don't have those, you're not a Christian. Uh, one, for instance, is he says, if you say you love God and you walk in darkness, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. So you're yet in your sins. So you can believe all, everything you want to believe about Jesus, but if you're not obeying his commands and following him, you're not his. See, people don't like reading those scriptures. 
And that's where most heresies come from, is people taking individual scriptures and making doctrines out of them. Individual scriptures are not the whole of the scripture. Many people with heresies, I notice, they'll lift one verse out, but they don't read the five verses before and after that give you another view of what he's talking about. See, they just want to pick what they like. They pick what they choose. That's why I never cared for the Amplified Bible. Oh, I know in some ways it shows you many synonyms. But on the other hand, if you read it, you can make your own Bible. You, certain words you think are too strong, well, you use a, a lesser word. See, so you're, you're formulating, not really translating. You're altering the translation to suit you. So that's the danger. In translation, whatever the language is, if you have to update them, you always go back to what the original word meant at that time. And you have to translate it that way if you have a new word that means that. But you don't put another word in there that changes its meaning. That's not rightly, as Paul said, handling the word of God. Okay, First John. 2, chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, who Christ, God, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What is he saying? If you don't practice righteousness, you're not born of him. Well, that throws people for a loop. That takes away the once saved, always saved. That says, oh no, I can't have a savior And yet I don't want to be a disciple. I don't care if I lose a few rewards. At least I make it. So you've revealed a wicked heart and you've been given over to a lying spirit. See, that's what I tell people. And that upsets them, okay? And then chapter 3, verse 7, little children, let no one lie to you. So he's telling you right now, pay attention. Why? Because there are people going to tell you it don't mean that. Yeah, you hear that often. It don't mean that. You hear that from the false shepherds and those who come out of seminaries that are spiritual cemeteries. They're not teaching the word of God. They're altering things to suit their denominational beliefs. And they elevate certain scriptures that the scripture don't elevate. They don't put it in its proper place. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as Christ is righteous. So he's making it practical. He doesn't say anything about believing here, does he? He says it's what you practice. Proves the kind of belief and faith that you have. Well, you don't hear that today. Uh, All you hear is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And they think that's the whole of Scripture. And everything else is a sideline. Well, they're false. When Jesus gave his last words before he ascended into heaven, he said, go you into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all people, teaching them to observe everything I told you. He didn't say, just teach them these seven scriptures and get them saved and don't worry about them anymore. These are false. This is why we have so many false Christians. But see, they want to believe it. They're just as guilty as the false teachers. When people say, oh, they don't have good teachers, it's their fault. They're not pursuing the Lord themselves. They're not going to be excused. person's not going to be a baby Christian for 20 and 30 years. He's a backslider. He got the false gospel. 
because he's not producing something. And the Lord doesn't have stunted, retarded children. So we need to see this. As Jesus said, when Peter said the scribes, you've offended them, and they were the false teachers, he said, leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. So he's saying they're not inexcusable, the people who want to listen to false teachers. Why, it's, it's going to be prevalent in our time. He said they will not endure sound doctrine. They will turn their ears away from the truth. They will heap to themselves teachers with itching ears, false teachers. Who's going to do this? The people. So don't you be blaming it all on the teacher. The false teacher is going to get his punishment, but the follower is going to end up in the same place. Okay? So that's what he's talking about. So practicing righteousness. Righteousness is goodness. So if a person isn't living in practical righteousness or holiness, he's not in Christ. He's not seated with Christ in heavenly places. All of that comes with the price. What he gives must be worked out. For the Lord said, and we'll repeat it again later, without holiness. And that was righteousness manifested outwardly. He said, no man will see the Lord. He didn't say what you believe or what you confess about Jesus. While the multitudes of Christians at the great judgment could be confined into hell, and they could say, we did all these good things. Lord, they acknowledge him as Lord. And he goes, say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawless ones. You cursed to my father. He said, because you practice lawlessness. He never mentioned whether they believed about him. And it didn't matter because it did not lead them to obey the Lord and follow him. So therefore, he considered it false. Why call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? Because he don't recognize himself as being that person's Lord. So that nullifies a lot of false teaching. So how will one deceive you? Well, like they do today. Uh, they tell you you're once saved, always saved. You don't have to worry about it. They tell you your spirit can't sin, but you can sin with your soul and body, and it really doesn't matter. You have a license to sin. That's what it amounts to. Oh, you don't have to be a disciple. Just get saved and all of such nonsense. And the people love it so, and they're going to be rewarded. So they're not going to be the poor, misguided sinner. They deserve what they get. See? Jeremiah says you'll find the Lord when you seek him with all your heart. Hebrews says he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Well, most of the professing Christians don't do that, and so they don't get the things of God. He doesn't give it to frivolous people. He doesn't give it to people who say, well, I've got five minutes. What's your teaching? Well, he could care less. He upholds holiness and truth. And if that's how lightly they are, he won't give them the truth. He'll hide it from them. See, people don't understand spiritual matters. So the world, he's saying, will give us trouble. But Christ gives us an assurance of quietness. And it's in all areas. This is what he sustains us with under trial, under persecution, the world doesn't have that, okay? But the Christian can have trouble in the world and conflict. And he said, through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom. That's what Paul taught immediately. He didn't trick people into becoming a Christian 
and then weeks later tell him the hard stuff. Uh-uh. He told him from the beginning. And he also said later, Scripture says, and those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if you don't, you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Now, persecution doesn't always mean physically beating you up or killing you. It means people avoid you. They don't have nothing to do with you. You're too good for them. You're self-righteous. See, they start to accuse you. And Jesus said they say many things falsely. Well, God keeps the records. He knows what's going on. He lets them believe what they believe because it's going to damn them if they persist in it. God has no obligation to give truth to practicing sinners who won't repent and won't listen. He has no obligation, okay? People twist the word of God. Everybody loves, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. They never go a few scriptures further. And it says, if you do not obey the son, that's the word believe, he said, the wrath of God remains on you. God hates the sin and he despises the sinner Oh, he still loves them. He has a good will, but they're still his enemies. And he's storing up wrath for the evil they're doing. See, people think today, oh, he's not angry anymore. He's not changed. His good will is he's offering this to enemies, to those who are his enemies. That's what it means, his good will. And that's what Christ died for. But those who reject it and those who don't listen, they're under God's wrath. And God is storing up to the day of judgment. And Paul warned the people to flee from the wrath to come. So there's going to be the wrath of the Lamb that's going to be greater than anything. And the people at the end time, they're going to flee to the mountains and caves and try to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. See, he's not coming with salvation. He's coming to be the great judge then. Salvation's over. Opportunities over, okay? So joy is a spiritual happiness, if you will. The world basically has a normal happiness. Whatever they get, if they find their life and things are going their way, they're happy. If they're not, they're not happy. Joy is to be consistent. It comes from the Lord and the assurance that God loves us and indwells us, and we're right with him. See, this is what the joy. You can't have joy if you fear God's judgment. If you fear God's punishment, you can't have peace either. See, there are spiritual assurances. So joy will counter doubt for the Christian. It will counter fear and questions. So if the person practices righteousness, follows the Lord, walks in the Lord, then those things won't attack him. He'll recognize them. But if he's still living and practicing sin and claiming to be the Lord's and trying to pray and worship the Lord, well, the Lord calls it a hypocrite. He said the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. James says if you're double-minded, up and down, back and forth, one day you want to serve God, the next you want to practice sin. He said, don't you think God will listen to anything you have to say? He's not listening. See? If you're not consistent at one or two things, so people confess their sins all the time, but they never repent. So they have no forgiveness. See, he judges the motive and the intent. If he sees at the moment they mean business, 
he works with them. But if they don't last at it and they go back, they don't. So then we pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of the body, of the body of Christ is what he's talking about. The church, okay? The true church is only true Christians. It has nothing to do with denominations. They're just gathering together for various beliefs. They may or may not have God in them, okay? They may not have no lampstand, but there might be a few individuals that have a candle that may serve the Lord, okay? So if we are in the kingdom of peace, we will pursue what makes for peace with mainly with Christians, because it's the unity he wants to maintain, then try to be peaceful with all, as the apostle said, where possible. Sometimes it's not possible. A wicked people are spiteful and unforgiving and full of the devil. And no matter what you do, they're going to hate you and come against you anyway. But it means if it's on your part, don't stir stuff up, okay? We are to build up and edify those in Christ. And we are to render service to them. See, that's what people don't understand. They think the gifts are for their glory. All the gifts are for building up, spiritual and natural. They ought to help other people. They're not to be squandered. See, that's the misuse of a talent. So the reason he wants us to serve God and be acceptable and pursue peace is because Christ is in the other Christian. So how can you not be pursuing peace? How can you have a conflict when Christ is in each one of you, when he's the God of all peace? See, people sometimes don't think this out, okay? In verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Now he's coming back to the subject. All things are cling or pure, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. He uses these pure things the wrong way. All things are pure. We see money, wine, they have no intrinsic evil. It's what people do with them. It's the abuse of God's gifts. And of the greatest abuse, Romans says, they worshiped the creation rather than the creator who is blessed. They used the gifts of God and turned them to sin and wickedness. They abused what God intended to be good, and they worship those things and forget God, the maker of them all. That's idolatry. That's a form of idolatry. Okay. So do not tear down, do not pour water on or discourage others that have a lighter conscience and haven't uh, really considered what's good and bad in certain areas. You don't press them. If it's about food and drinking, wine, or observing Sabbaths or not, or Sundays and all that, that creates disunity. It means some people still do it. Oh, most Christians that profess to be Christians still think Sunday's the Sabbath and the holy day. It's nowhere in Scripture. The Sabbath was always Saturday. Uh-huh. They said, well, it was transferred. It was, you have no basis. The closest you can get to it, Paul said, when you gather together on the first day to collect the monies that you promised to give. He didn't say you had to come together on the first day. They were doing that. 
He never gave a command. None of the apostles did for the Gentiles. They were not bound. And he said, I'm afraid of you, he told the Galatians, because you observe days and months, and you're going back under the law. The Judaizers are taking you Christian Gentiles and trying to bring you back under the law, and that's what proves they're wrong. They'll tell you, oh, you can have Jesus, but if you don't get circumcised and keep the law, you can't be saved. So see, they start twisting. And Paul had a real good word for them. He said, I hope they slip with the knife and castrate or circumcise themselves or castrate themselves. He had no mercy on false teachers, especially Judaizers. We wouldn't accept Christ. And then they mingled with the Christians, some knowingly, some unknown, trying to bring them back to the law. They wanted them to be a proselyte, a second-rate Jew is what it amounted to, okay? And Paul was saying, you're at liberty from all of that. You've been freed from all of this, okay? So we are not to, and he's talking here, we got to keep remembering, He's talking to the Gentile mainly Christian, not to offend the Jewish Christian who's come in because he still observes the law and many ceremonies and his conscience is not fully liberated. And so he should follow his conscience until it is. So he said, don't talk him into it, but don't judge him. On the other hand, he can't judge you either, your liberty you have. But he said the mature Christian can give way. He won't do certain things in that younger Christian's presence because he don't want to disturb him. But on his own and with mature Christians, he can eat what he wants and he can drink wine. Don't get drunk. See, people say, oh, even today certain denominations say it's a sin to drink any kind of wine and that Jesus made grape juice. He did not. He made wine and if anybody abused it, they would have got drunk. It wasn't the wine, it's the people. The love of money is the root of many evils, but money is not evil. Christians are told to give and help people. Well, how can you do that if you don't have money? How can you do that if you're not getting ahead in some areas? Prosperity for people, Christians, and for those who found the Lord the main purpose is they'll give and help other people. It was not to be squandered on luxury and pleasure. And yet the apostle said, God's given us all things richly to enjoy within moderation. See, if we have it, you can use various things. But you don't squander it. You don't become materialistic. You don't live in luxury. See, that's the abuse. But if God's given you a misery of giving, he obviously has to give you things to give, or you can't do it. And some can, and some can't, according to their lot that God has placed them in, okay? So he's saying, uh, don't judge the weaker Christian about what he eats and what he can't eat, or what day he has to observe Christ. He's coming out of the law. Now, under James in Jerusalem, uh, he bragged to Paul, and so many priests have come to the Lord, and they observed the law. And he rejoiced in that because they were Jews, and they were still trying to be a witness to the Gentile. But they knew observing all these things did not save them. It was not to offend the Jews so they could get the gospel to them over the years. That's why Paul said to the Jew, I become a Jew 
when he went and ate with them, he didn't order a ham sandwich. He didn't try to provoke them. He fell in line with what was not to him irrelevant. It was just material things to get the spiritual things. And then once a person gets the truth and is enlightened, the conscience starts to be able to do things that couldn't do before. And we'll find out why as we get on. So, so again, he says, don't discourage, don't judge that way. Don't brag about your liberty. Mislead a, a Jewish Christian that isn't fully assured. If you talk him into, or even a Christian today, if a Christian believes he has to worship on Sunday, you don't press him. He can ask your opinion, you can give it. But if it still bothers him, then he better go on Sunday. And if you talk him out of it and his conscience is not clear about it, you've got him into sin. He's sinning against a conscience. And if the conscience is not enlightened, then it's a sin we're going to see. That's what Paul's telling us. So the person whose conscience is lighted and knows how to rightly handle the word of God, he has more liberty. He's not bound by these things. He can use those things without being bound by them. Where the weaker one can't do this, can't do that. And a lot of these are just natural things that are not evil in themselves. We've entered in to a spiritual Sabbath. All Christians are living. Every day they're living in a Sabbath. So we're not bound by the days. And yet he's talking about outward things, eating, drinking, observing. He's not talking about the basic sins. They're always, all of the nine of the commandments, the tenth one applied to the Jew, nine of the commandments, you break them as a Christian, you'll end up in hell. You can't steal, you can't lie, you can't commit adultery, you can't covet things like the prosperity people do, materialism. If you do those as a Christian or a Jew, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. So he's not talking about that. The false teachers will quote the scripture real quick. All things are lawful, but they're not expedient. All things that pertain to food and drinking, he was what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about lying, chilling. Is it lawful to murder somebody? Foolishness. That's why they've been deceived. That's why God gives them to lying spirits. Their foolishness. Okay. So again, as we see, we'll repeat it, all things are clean, pure, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. The mature Christian can enter into sin by causing a younger Christian to stumble because he has liberty and he's pushing something on him that the man's conscience is not clear about. And you say, well, I told him it should be clear. Well, we... We know, but the Spirit has to recognize us, not just lip service. They have to have an understanding in their spirit, and we'll find out why soon. So if your conscience becomes clear by receiving the Word of God and you're open to the truth, it will suddenly start to see things, and you'll see a lot of things are pure and clean in themselves. It's just what you do with them. So money and wine and things of material usefulness, they have no good or evil in them. It's the one who uses them that makes them good and evil. And as I've repeated before, they don't like to hear it, but I've heard some of the stronger denominations that think they are. 
they're against all form of drinking, any kind of alcohol. And they'll use the other common sense thing. Well, if no one ever drank, they would never become an alcoholic and go to hell. I said, well, that's true. I said, but taking that on reasoning, if you castrate every male child when he's born, he'll never get into fornication or adultery probably. So you'll keep him out of hell too. But the scripture don't teach that. It says you're to regulate and overcome and use things properly. And so uh, people misuse the gifts of God. Mainly the sex relationship was made for a married couple, man and woman. Everything else, any kind of relations you hear about that are having sex with each other is condemned as fornication and the person's going to hell. I don't care who they are because he didn't sanction it. See, that's where the word transgression comes in. God sets the boundaries and when you cross it, you transgress. It's no longer legitimate. It's sin. So you go beyond the word of the Lord, and it's sin. And that's what happens with many things. People can use wine, but if they get drunk, they're vented into sinfulness, okay? And so we got to see this. Money, if you're covetous, and you're in the prosperity movement, and all you think about is how many houses and cars you can have, and squander things on this, you're a materialistic, covetous person. And Paul said, don't be deceived about this. He said, a covetous person is an idolatra. And he says, and you know that no idolatra has eternal life in them. So what is he telling you? People are given over to greed and materialism and this world. And Paul said, don't set your mind on this world. The Christian was to use the world and live in it, but not let it use him. So all things were lawful. But see, when they go beyond moderation, they enter into coveting and worldliness, and he called them an idolatra. And he said plainly, they're not Christians. John said the same thing about if you hate your Christian brother, your real Christian. We're not talking about those who profess to be Christians. You don't have to like or hate them. You can turn them over to God. It's not your place to judge them. But if a true Christian tries to make things right and you won't, he calls it hate. And John says the same thing. And you know someone like that, he said, has no eternal life in him. So he makes it very plain. Because I've counseled people over the years and they can never forgive a certain person. And I said, this person's a Christian. You're a Christian. Well, I can't. I said, well, then you'll never be saved. You're going to hell. And they'll hang the phone up on me. I don't care. And they were warned that judgment day, that's going to come back to them. It's because they think their pride and their personality is more important than the will of Christ and his commands. See, they've judged themselves as being the judge. And they're self-centered. And they're more worried about themselves and what people have done to them. Because they haven't gone to the cross. They're still living their own life. And they're glorifying themselves. Many false teachers do this. They want the attention of people. They're really not interested in glorifying God. They want people and money. That's what many of them want. And they're given over to this deception. So in verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or to drink or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, we're not regulated, the spiritual Christian, by the weaker Christian. 
he hangs around with us, there's certain things he'll have to bear because Paul tells him he's not the judge either. He's to leave you alone. So if you're invited over to his house and he can't allow certain things in his house, then you abide by that. But if you invite him to your house with other mature Christians, they don't have to be judged of him. So he's saying, use common sense. Don't purposely offend him. But you're not his servant. Paul said, if I'm a servant of men, he meant strictly, if they're my master or concerned, then how can I serve Christ? So there's one thing to serve people in Christ. It's another to serve people outside of Christ. But it will not get you anywhere, okay? So he's saying, be good. Be more mature and lay aside your liberty in this weaker Christian's presence so you don't cause him to sin and cause trouble. And it's implied by Paul. If you cause those to sin and fall away, you've cost them their soul because of their beliefs and what you've done to them. They've lost their salvation. And he's saying, will you want that on you? So that's a great sin as far as the Lord is concerned. You're not doing good. You're doing evil to them. Okay. So again, observing Sabbaths and rituals and old Jewish commands, and they were dealing with mainly Jewish Christians. So we have to take the context he's talking about here. But it can be applied in any principle when you're dealing with a baby Christian or a novice that doesn't understand why certain things bother his conscience, but it don't bother yours. And he sees you have a liberty. Now, we're not talking about the basic sins. No one has a liberty to do the basic sins. They're sins under the law and under the new covenant, and they'll get you into hell. You break the nine commandments as a Christian, you're going to hell just like the Jew is. So a Christian is under the law of Christ. And even Jesus said, if your righteousness isn't better than the Pharisees, because they observed a lot of rules and regulations, they tithe and did a lot of the things that the law said to do. He said, but if you're not better than them, you'll not see the kingdom of God. And they considered themselves very exacting outwardly, but inwardly there was wickedness that they wouldn't deal with. So he told the followers at that time, he was telling his disciples, your righteousness better be better than the Pharisees. If not, you're not in the kingdom, okay? We'll take a break now.